what's going on? Greetings and good day, and welcome to the 100 and something edition of Birds All Day. My name is Drew Fairservice, and we are here. It is the middle of June somehow. It is the middle of June, and your Toronto Blue Jays are uh, within a shouting distance, within a stone's throw of the playoffs, just as we all thought they would be uh, when they did not win a single game in April. First team ever in history of baseball did not win a game in April. And then they won every single one in May. And now they are treading water in in June. Uh, a, a pessimist might say that they're a 500 ball club. But I think we know they're better than that. Uh, joining me to break down all of that uh, important information, to really parse, what who is this team? We're going to tease it out. We're going to figure them out. Uh, joining me, as always. Old Reliable. Old Reliable, Mr. Andrew Stoughton. Stoughton, how are you? I- I'm good, and people can probably hear me typing away in the background, because I'm like, no, there was an Orioles team when, when I was a kid, I totally remember, that really, like, literally almost did go over April. Uh, 0-21, the 88 Orioles started. Uh, Cal Ripken Sr. getting shit-canned in that one. Didn't they beat the Jays for their first win of the year, too? It's very possible that they did. That I cannot tell you that I, re- I remember, but, uh, yeah, what a disaster. Two Hall of Famers on that team. And yet... I don't think it's the first time we've discussed that team, uh, even this year, <laughs> for whatever very, reason. Very possible. I, I tweeted about it. Well, we were talking about uh, Larry Sheets last week a little bit. People were talking about the Jays potentially taking his kid in the draft. Uh, I tweeted a little bit about this. I tweeted about those 80s Orioles teams. Cause I'm, and uh, somebody, I think it was Ewan Ross from, uh, from uh, BP Toronto, uh, was like, oh, Eddie Murray. Shit Hall of Famer, basically. I'm like, okay, let's look into this a little bit. Uh, I tend to disagree. Called Didn't him somebody... Piler. Called him a Called him a, a, a Rafael Palmero, which, you know, I think is maybe fair, but I don't know why I'm relitigating this Twitter conversation that I had off the top of the, this podcast about the Toronto Blue Jays, but uh, no, Eddie Murray, pretty damn good. It's really quite, quite peerless among 80s first basemen. Uh, no, no disrespect to Don Mattingly and fucking Kent Herbeck, uh, but I think Eddie Murray was probably uh, quite a bit better than those guys. Or Fred McGriff, the long overlooked, well, very much savagely yeah. under underrated. first baseman. I, I I saw a bit of that conversation, and I think someone, and I believe incorrectly, said that Larry Sheets was the guy that broke Tony Fernandez's elbow. When I I remember it strongly, and I, oh, I could be wrong that it was Bill Madlock. It's clearly Bill Madlock. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There we Bill go, Matt, Bill Madlock. Sure. What, what's what year was that? Eighty eight. That was eighty seven. Eighty seven. That was eighty seven. Oh, that was the big collapse. When yes. Right, when Tony was, yeah. That when that was that was the collapse. Yeah. That was when Tony went out. Things kind of went a little bit south. This podcast is only three minutes long, and it has already gone south. Uh, <laughs> people doing this at the people who listen to podcasts are like, "What are they, are they talking about? The eighties? Really? What the fuck?" Uh, the guys from, that used to do the Platoon Advantage, Bill and Mike, they have a podcast that is about the history of baseball. Uh, this is not that. This is Birds All Day. We talk about your Toronto Blue Jays. If We've been doing this bit at the end, a little spiel. Uh, we're Patreon-powered, like so many podcasts before us and after, many more after us. Uh, uh, so you can head over to patreon.com slash birdsallday. Kick us a couple bucks a month. Keep us going. Keep yourself feeling good and supporting, and, 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 uh, and uh, supporting the things that you value. And uh, we keep showing up. Uh, Come rain or shine, uh, rain from the nose or show, or dry <laughs> nosed. I'm a little under the weather, but it's all good. So thank you to everyone who's been doing it for so many episodes, more than 115. I think, I think it's at this 118 point. is this one. Yeah, I just make the number up most of the time. But uh, and of course you can uh, subscribe 
to the podcast on iTunes and anywhere else that your uh, fine podcasts are sold and made. Uh, so, and, and everyone who's been doing that, who's given us good reviews and shows up every weekend and turns up whenever we turn up, we like that very much. It, heroes, uh, heroes. They're not like literally. We would not be doing this were it not for the Patreon folks and and the folks that are actually listening. It's uh, literally not not and not literally in a figurative way. Literally, literally, we would not be doing it. in a literal way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but and what what those Patreon supporters get is is, is insight. And no <laughs> nowhere are we more are better equipped to provide insight than into the Rule Four Amateur Draft and the Blue Jays' role within it. The, the draft was just this week. Uh, the Blue Jays picked a bunch of guys. Unfortunately, they kept their forty season tradition of only drafting men alive. But uh, they drafted some guys. Some of them are from high school. Some of them are from uh, major American universities. Uh, there were a couple of Canadian guys in the mix, uh, especially, I believe, on day three. But uh, Did the Jays take Canadians? Yeah. They the took Jays a couple did? at the did end. Did they? Yeah. Oh, if you nice. follow Alexis Brudnicki, she will let you know anything you need to know. Oh, yeah. Alexis is Canadian great. She's, she's on top of that stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing. So, she's an encyclopedia of it. It's, it's unreal. I believe it was a day three pick, so maybe in the last ten or however many rounds or whatever, however many rounds they do now. But uh, but there are definitely some Canadians in the mix. So, but Stoughton, I saw you wrote about this, and uh, you should are to be um, uh, credited for you know acknowledging your limits. And I think that's not enough of that in media, especially in sports media, where everyone has to wear all these different hats. Uh, but pretending to be a draft guy is a road to ruin for everyone really it you know it's it's a real easy thing for people to see through i think too it, it does it is a pet peeve of mine to see people like talk about you know i i could sit here i've read i've read enough scouting reports that i could sit here and and speak about these guys without without the caveat like i don't like i'm just reading this report like you could i don't have any expertise on this whatsoever uh, but some people don't. Some people are just like, oh, this guy, this is what his swing's like. This is, you know, this is how he's built. This is how he's projected. This is how people think about it. And it's like, where did you get all that stuff? You got it from the same place we all got, which is from the actual people doing the actual legwork. I think it's important to acknowledge the uh, the the people who do all that shit. Like, that is a, that is a, a time-intensive job, for one. And it's, uh, uh, and this is their, this is their moment, uh, when the draft comes around, this is literally the only time of the year people care about these, these guys, except for you know the NCAA baseball fans and shit like that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's good to acknowledge that it is the copiest and pastiest time of year. That much is for sure. Absolutely, where a lot of things, and 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 that's fine. Uh, there's reason to be excited, I suppose. Uh, you never know. I mean, the Jays drafted Russ Adams. The second, I don't know. They drafted a shortstop from North Carolina who rakes, uh, as everyone would. Keith, I think the, uh, Keith one, Law, by the way, to copy and paste, his favorite swing in the draft. He said, and also, you know, said he was a top ten talent. They got it uh, at twenty two, which I don't think this was a particularly deep draft based on my deep scouting background. That I, you know, I've looked at all these players, obviously. Uh, no, I mean everybody's saying it's not a great, you know, super deep draft uh, beyond the top few picks, which there were some exciting guys there. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That seemed okay. I, I don't the Russ Adams thing. I get it. We were all very greatly disappointed by that. But uh, 
Which, but it which doesn't necessarily make it a bad yeah. pick. Yeah, all, exactly. All, all of us who who are sitting here and taking information in, and with the benefit of hindsight, where you can reorder the draft and redo the draft, and you can do the Tulowitzki and Romero thing, and you can do the Deck McGuire and Mike Trout or Chris Sale or whatever it is. Like we've all done that a hundred times. You can do mm. it to your blue in the face. But I think it is informative in that it these people who are the the, the nature of the draft is very highly trained, specifically skilled people who have whose best laid plans go out the window and then they have two minutes to, to reformulate a new plan uh, for the most part. Well, if someone picks your guy, yeah. but which so if someone <laughs> picks your guy, especially in the later rounds, so especially day three, yeah. day two and day three where the picks have come way faster and there's a lot less game planning that has gone into who's going to go where and what's going to be left. I mean, obviously the, the teams have... There are guys that they're going to take a flyer on the hard signs or whichever. They'll have some guys earmarked for a few uh, picks later on. But I think, by and large, a, the majority of the draft is is this. You just do your work and you and you trust in your processes and you trust in your people. And if someone is willing to go to bat for whomever in the 8th or ninth or 13th round, that you have to trust the people that are on your team. Now, it is not necessarily quite as random and in the heat of the moment, as we are led to believe, mm-hmm. which I think you yourself, Mr. Andrew Stoughton, wrote about um, uh, for The Athletic, if I understand, if I'm not but correct. You are correct. You are correct. Uh, why don't you, without giving away that uh, highly prized and subscriber content... Which, by, which, what, by what the way, about. I, I sent Patreon subscribers, check your, check your box. I sent you a, a, a discount code for The Athletic, if anybody's interested in that. Uh, I think that would probably go to your email, but I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I did write about this, and it is it. You're you're right. It, it was interesting. I read uh, more Keith Law stuff. He had a chat after the draft talking about his years in Toronto. I know it's a little different now than it was then because then there was no spending limits. Uh, the draft was really. I mean, it's fucked up now, but it's fucked up in a completely different way. Uh, but he basically said that you know they had they had fifty guys. And then they had various other buckets where, you know, they had contingencies built in and basically ended up having a board with like 400 players on it. And it's, you know, it's like you say, by the by day three, it's, you know, you got your board, somebody takes somebody, the next guy on your board, then you go, you, you go one name deeper, right? I mean, that's basically how it works. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting how the money moves around. I mean, we saw with the twins take sort of going off the board with the... Uh, with the first overall pick, or not necessarily, but, but taking a guy, and I think uh, somebody, a Twins fan, I think it's at Twins Geek on Twitter, uh, explained, I thought, quite well, uh, the the thought process there in that if the Twins, the guy that the Twins ended up taking, most people sort of had him at three or four or five, or not definitely not one, or, mo- or some people did, but, but most people didn't. Uh, and the idea was that, you know, they can, they can uh, save some money, shave some money off of that pick, because if that guy is is you know going to drop to number 4 if they don't take him they can offer him number 4 money or a little bit more than number 4 money at number 1 and then roll that savings from the you know the difference between the slot amount and the amount that they're paying him into a later pick and do what it seemed like the Blue Jays did last year with Bo Bichette, which was a thing where uh you know we all kind of roll uh, wrinkled our eyebrows raised our eyebrows when he said uh, after the draft last year that yeah I turned down four offers earlier in the draft uh, because I thought the Blue Jays were the best fit, which was which was sort of, you know, we know this stuff goes on, but it was it was definitely a moment where it's like, wait a second, this is this is sort of, I have an idea of how a draft is supposed to work, and this is very much not of that idea. You, the players don't turn down 
teams. It seems so strange, but clearly that is, you know, what happens. And it seems like that I think has happened as well with uh, Nate Pearson, the second pick that the Jays took, the guy at 28. Keith Law said that the industry rumor was that the Jays were, you know, that, that he had a deal with some team in the 20s and that most people thought that, or he at least thought that uh, that the Toronto was the biggest suspect. Nobody knows because you're not, you know, these guys, it, it's so, it's so stupid, right? I mean, you can't tell anybody that you have a deal. You can't, you don't have a, an agent, you have an advisor. So it's like, oh yeah, he's only, he's only negotiating, they're negotiating between the kid and the team, which is obviously not what's really happening, but they just all sort of pretend that it's all above board in the way that it's supposed to be. Uh, and what happened was that Pearson ended up do, uh, going to the Jays. The thing I wrote for the uh, the Athletic eventually got around to the 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 video that uh, Central Florida, which is a junior college, he was a sophomore. Uh, he was committed to LSU. He would have been 21 next year, which means he would have been eligible for the draft as a junior next year. So he had a little bit of leverage. So, so people talk about the Jays didn't draft high school guys. He was in this aspect. He was a high school guy. Uh, I'm giving away the whole piece. He told me not to do it, but I'm, I'm kind of doing it. Uh, <laughs> but so he he had that same kind of leverage that Bichette did, where he could be like, if somebody drafts him and don't want they don't want to pay him the kind of money, or he's not going to get the kind of money that he wants. He could have just gone to LSU, pitched there next year, gone back into the draft. And obviously, there's some risk there, but there's uh, I don't know. Teams obviously think that they're serious enough about it that they do get scared off because it's you know it's such a delicate balance to make sure that all. You know, you have your ducks in a row in terms of where your money is going, because if you don't sign a big, you know, a big guy, if you don't sign one of your picks, you lose that money out of your bonus pool. So you have to make sure that that everything lines up. You have to know what everybody's already willing to uh, to sign for. And you have to have these kind of deals in place if you want to do something like the Jays were doing, which was by the looks of it. Saying to saying to a player like, okay, we're we're gonna shave a little money off some of our picks, and we're gonna give you an overslot deal at this at, at this spot at you know nineteenth pick. We'll give you nineteenth pick money at pick twenty eight. So just anybody after nineteen, tell them that you know you're not gonna sign there. You're gonna go to LSU, and that seems to be you know what happened. And I, I mean, there the video that I mentioned before, uh, and I tweeted it out I think as well. Uh, one of his friends is wearing a Blue Jays jersey in the video as he's as the pick is being announced. Which uh, somebody said, "Oh, I heard that the Blue Jays scout was just just gave him so much attention, and that that you know that may have given it away." But uh, you know, clearly, I think these people knew that this this was going to happen because that's you know that's what was going to happen. Like, uh, like that's delightfully there's... naive. Like, oh, he, yeah. the Blue Jays just won over the hearts and minds of those uh, <laughs> of his friends and family. Like, I mean, come on. I'm trying. I'm trying to not like say that there's a deal in place because you're not supposed to have deals in place but uh it certainly looked like that that's the case because that's that's how this works all the time yeah it's it's, as as you always do you just inadvertently made a good point i do do Uh, not intentionally ever make good points but i do inadvertently sometimes yes uh which is it's it's supposed to be you know the team is negotiating with the kid which is insane right (laughs) right when you think about it which is so insane which is so unbalanced where you have this massive baseball you know professional sports operation that is has all the leverage in the world has they've, this kid's not part of the union so the union has left him high and dry and then the idea that they're going to have he's going to get a fair value for his abilities uh it's so dumb uh, but you know that's the that's the game that we're playing it's it's a dream come true and i never would have known i would have been drafted by the reds in a hooray it's <laughs> the best thing that's ever happened to me right uh but but i think 
And uh, well, I think we'll move on from this right now. So you, you've written a lot about the draft. You could obviously go to BlueJaysNation.com, check out what Stoughton said. Uh, you've re- referenced Keith Law, who will be uh, here in Toronto yeah. at the end of June, uh, promoting his book. And I believe he'll be um, interviewed by Lindsay Adler of Deadspin. Uh, so if you want to check, I think that's a pitch talk thing. Who, so to to... Lindsay Adler, who crushed baseball prospectus today with that piece. Well, what, what did she run that place into the ground? No, Is that what happened? No. no, no, but there's some. I, I, I said this in the Daily Deuce where I, I put the link to it. I mean, this may only be interesting to somebody who's been in sports media. Like maybe, maybe fans don't care about the ins and outs of that kind of stuff. But uh, that was a hell of a piece. It was. Uh, I, I read the shit out of it. Yeah, but anyway. Uh, read Keith Law, his insider. Again, if you talk about supporting the content that you value, insider. Uh, there's yeah. not a, there's a not insignificant number of people who buy in, uh, insider essentially just for Keith Law's uh, uh, baseball prospect rankings and and draft stuff. And and I would definitely count myself among them. God damn, that was expensive this year. That stupid <laughs> auto, the auto renew. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Stupid I got a Canadian dollar. My my. The only thing I encourage anybody who values that content to buy Insider, unless unless you're in my really deep hockey pool, Dan, Chris, don't don't do that. My secret is that I I follow Corey Pronman's stuff on hockey prospects. I really think it's got a good foundation for my NHL uh, fantasy <laughs> team. We got a keeper league that's like 15 years old. I think I I owe Corey a, at least a few beers. Um, but yeah, no, they're great. Also, I laughed when you said uh, I've written so much about the draft because I literally like did not think once about the draft until approximately Sunday evening. Like it was like, oh yeah, the draft's happening, right? I don't, I don't know, and which is which just underlines how much of a a copy and paste situation it is. I I, I can still aggregate content, that's for sure, but I, not a lot of those thoughts are my own. up fam you know baseball season is around the corner and SeatGeek is the smartest easiest way to get tickets to every blue jays game with SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed there is nothing like seeing the best plays of the year in person we've all been down to the games it's uh, it's an incredible experience with the blue jays when they're great uh, you want to be there you want to be there in person you want to be in the stands and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value you know, I have the app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I could be anywhere, just a few taps, I got my tickets to the game. It's uh, it's a tremendous thing, and it's not just the Blue Jays game. You know, you could go to Leafs games, you can go to concerts, comedy events, theater tickets, all sorts of stuff is on, t- on SeatGeek. Every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop SeatGeek tickets with confidence. Uh, and it'll just give you the most bang for your buck, plus... Listeners to Birds All Day, just like last year, you can get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. When you do that, you enter the promo code BIRDS, B-I-R-D-S, BIRDS. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. For real, $20. Holy shit. Do that shit. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code BIRDS today. Everyone knows, or we've said it, and, and you've done a good job of qualifying your statements, which to the chagrin of some listeners, apparently, that we qualify our statements as <laughs> yeah, non-expert or, or often ill-considered. <laughs> the point, the bigger point is, it's definitely more art than science. 
the evaluating players, projecting into the future, reading the tea leaves. Uh, it's not an easy job, and it's there's a the signal to noise or the, the hit to miss ratio. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, even as they progress from drafted players, and then you don't know where they're going to be, and you send them out into the world if they go to play short season, or if they, you put them in the academies or the complex, or sorry, the complex wherever they they end up. Uh, it still becomes a very much a, a situation of more art than science, and and the guys learn at different rates. A good example, and I was thinking about it today. I was washing the dishes, and I was thinking about the guy we're going to talk about next, and that's Devin Travis. So I don't know that Devin Travis was ever a highly touted prospect. He was traded for Anthony Ghost, so we can assume <laughs> he's not a highly touted prospect. Well, but at that he, at that point of Anthony Ghost's career, yes, I believe he's he called. Became, I, think, I believe Law called him a non-prospect. Speaking of Keith Law, so. Take what uh, yeah. he's saying for what it's worth. <laughs> worth like $45 a year is what it's worth. Uh, Devin Travis could well be the kind of player who thrived facing better pitching. Guys who are in the zone. He's in, He's got a you know good hand-eye coordination. He's got a nice line drive swing. He's become a decent ball player. Unfortunately, Devin Travis is the kind of ball player who has a hard time staying on the field. And he is out for an indefinite amount of time as he had a debridement. I believe is the term, mm-hmm. uh, in his knee. Uh, so he's hurt again, which is terrible because he's a young guy. His career's just getting started. He's missed like 150 games over the last two years. And uh, here he is again. He's going to miss a big chunk of time, which sucks for him. It sucks for Blue Jays fans because the two players who are filling in for him, uh, they're terrible. They're really, <laughs> really bad. Yeah. So second base is now a sore spot. Second base needs a debridement, I believe we could probably say. Uh, to, to the point that people are saying, like, oh, the t- Trevor Plouffe got DFA'd. I wonder if uh, he can play second base for the Blue Jays. The answer to that is no. <laughs> he right. can't. Correct. Uh, but what are they going to do? What are the Blue Jays going to do about second base? It's a, it's a good question. There, there, uh, there are, there's a fork here, right? I mean, there, uh, uh, there, what are the Blue Jays going to do versus... What should the Blue Jays do? And I, 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 the sense right now among a lot of people, and I think me right now as well, is uh, those are two different questions, or two the two different answers to a, to two similar questions. You know, uh, because I think what they should do. I'm really curious about this uh, Jason Leblebegian, who's uh, who's down there in Buffalo, who you know is is hitting well, whose glove is well regarded. I, I think somebody, I don't know if it was uh, our pal Jonah Birnbaum tonight, but somebody tweeted out a. Uh, a video of him making a diving stop in the shift uh, to get a guy out of first base playing for the Bisons tonight. And, and uh, you know, it looks like the glove will play. It might not be as good as Darwin Barney, and it might not be as good as as Ryan Goins, though you know, overrated defensively as those two may be, or as, you know, maybe not even overrated, but maybe just not going as great. Uh, though and though, you know, their flaws are obviously exposed, and caveat, 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 but... He seems like he's hitting well enough that he is a guy where you can think, hey, maybe he can help you more than Goins and Barney can. Uh, and it doesn't seem like there's that much on the roster the, uh, that should be standing in his way. You know, Chris Coughlin is still there. He'll, he might go when, uh, when Steve Pierce comes back. Uh, they're still carrying eight relievers. They will have to make a decision about that at some point. Glenn Sparkman's rehabbing. Maybe, maybe that's going to complicate things uh, as well there because they're probably going to try to keep Sparkman in the in the organization. That's just you know it's free money basically. If they really think that he's a a decent guy, he's of course the Rule Five guy that, that people were a little bit excited about in spring and then broke his thumb. Uh, and then there's Barney and Goins. You know you're going to have to get rid of 
two guys to bring to bring up uh, to bring back Pearson to bring up Levlebiji, and if that's the path that you choose to take, uh, and the Blue Jays don't seem really interested in doing that. My, the thing I keep writing is that I think, you know, I haven't put it in these words, but it, I feel like you're going to have to pry Barney and Goins out of Gibby's cold, dead hands, right? Like I think I think they're pros and they're they're guys that he just he likes, and uh, which isn't to say necessarily that he's you know the only one who's keeping this switch from happening obviously the front office is letting it happen but i think that i think that they do value those guys as guys who are good complementary pieces who are backups who are you know who are just the suited for that role and maybe just don't want to fuck with that even though right now it looks like uh, obviously they're getting exposed and, and they're not everyday players and and i understand why they maybe uh wouldn't want to to lose that organizational depth uh, because Goins is out of options, so he'd probably be lost on waivers, I, I assume. And Barney could refuse an assignment, so if they do try to you know, send one of those guys down, uh, they might lose that depth, which is a, an important thing in an organization where you're starting Devin Travis and Troy Tulowitzki up the middle of the infield, right? So I get the reluctance there, because those guys at least will not kill you with their gloves, and maybe it'll give you a couple timely hits, but it's tough to watch right now. I really, I think that, to me, it's a no-brainer, and, and I think that if there's one of them, it will end up going. It would be Barney because he has a better chance of latching onto another team afterwards. But I think bigger, the bigger issue is you can, I don't think you could play Darwin Barney at shortstop every day for two or three weeks mm-hmm. if you need to. Uh, I don't know that is that you know for all of their faults at the plate, uh, Goins is a shortstop. Yeah, right. For he sure. can play that. He can do that job. So essentially, Ryan Goins. His fate, his fate is tied directly to that of Troy Tulowitzki. Uh, and he, Tulo, who, who's hitting like a regular Ryan Goins these days, uh, can sort of is, is basically dragging him and extending his career. Uh, but you're right, like it's not really tenable. They're, they're just not good. I, I mean, I, I like Dar- Darwin Barney. I think he is a, like a, he has value as a 24th or 25th guy on the bench. He does a lot of things that I really like, and he's useful without being valuable yes which which i think is is a is an important distinction that i just made and that but made me makes me think that it was important but uh <laughs> the what sorry how do you pronounce the name leb lebegian yeah it's a it once uh, you once you get it it's it's surprisingly easy for a name that looks that weird it's like oh it's just sort of each syllable there's no tricks it's just leb lebegian yeah leb lebegian uh my i mean now i don't know anything about him and so i Immediately, the name that came to mind when I was thinking about him was Jim Negrich. Remember that? Remember the yeah. Jim Negrich thing where he was <laughs> hitting 400 for like four months for the for the Bisons? And yeah. He, and he was a Buffalo. That was the first year in Buffalo. Jim Negrich was a guy that played second base. Uh, the Jays signed him as a minor league free agent, presumably because he's from Buffalo. And he hit the shit out of the ball every day for four months to the point where people were asking John Gibbons. People who were not just Mike Harrington, that goof from Buffalo, <laughs> asking... Gibby about I do bringing this. Jim Negrich up, uh, and then I remember I remember Mike Harrington being mad <laughs> that they weren't giving him a, they wouldn't give him a shot. But then, of course, Jim Negrich turned out to be bad to the point where like that was his last season in organized baseball in professional baseball. He played a season in, in uh, of semi pro for that, and he's done. He doesn't he doesn't play anymore. Not that I can find anyway. Uh, which is to say that. Now, Leblubijian isn't that guy. Sure, he's only a year younger than Negridge was at that time, but 
he's a been a Blue Jays farmhand the entire time. Is that not correct? He's had a, dec- a few different decent stops along the way. He's yeah, he's been around yeah. yeah. But it, it just becomes a matter of of the unfortunately he is a maybe maybe unfortunately he is a victim of roster crunch and the fact that spots on the 25 man roster and spots on the 40 man roster have a value associated with them and the marginally better play that the team believes he may or may not provide at this point isn't worth the loss of all those other things of all these other moving pieces which you know in i think that we could say and you mentioned it just now which is the search for depth the blue jays sort of the ross atkins and mark shapiro are Super horny for depth. It seemed like it was a real buzzword in the offseason. Mm-hmm. But now they've almost painted themselves into a shitty roster situation corner. Because the roster is kind of fucked up. Where Especially because there's so many guys who were hurt and they've got Zeke hurt. So now, the, as you mentioned, there's shitty players. And there's uh, Jason Grilly who got gotten one game in a week and a half. I don't know if they just wanted to get, let him get his, catch his breath or whatever. Uh, but the... the they're, they're all this depth, and they just have a lot of dead weight. It feels like on the roster, it's not definitely not in, not optimized or maximized uh, because there just aren't enough good players. They have guys, but not not anyone who's ready ready to contribute in a meaningful way. In, and in my view, I don't know you. You are probably a little bit closer to it. What do, what do you think? No, yeah, there's there's it's weird. It is not it is not a well optimized. But I think part of your is what you're saying is that guys are hurt too. I mean, why is Dwight Smith here? Well, because Dalton Pompey is hurt. Because Steve Pierce is hurt. Um, but yeah, there like what like what is Chris Coughlin doing here? Uh, and having both Barney and and Goins is is not exactly ideal. But and yet and yet, where do these where do the solutions present themselves? I mean, you have people hopefully jokingly talking about Brett Laurie out there, which is just like I mean, for one, I think his feet are fucked up or something like that. He had bad orthotics. I read. Um, so he's not too many, too many box jumps. All those box jumps on <laughs> top with him. He's he's. I don't think he's in. You know, he's not ready to just walk onto a, a field. And even if he was, he's fucking Brett Laurie. It's not a real improvement on anything, uh, except maybe isn't it? like number of isn't Red it? Bull cans crushed on your head. Yeah, you know what? A league average hitting guy who could field the position would be very nice right now. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I think that you know. Maybe the solution has to come in a trade. Maybe, maybe it'll, maybe it won't be that long for Devin Travis, which seems you know sort of absurd. Maybe, uh, maybe you like Luke Miley so much back there that you you let Russell Martin go at second base. Like, yeah, I don't know, but that's, but you're right that there that is that kind a lot of craziness. Of, that yeah. kind of craziness is playing with literal fire, <laughs> like juggling fire, literal, swallowing yeah. fire. No, literal. I mean, I, it, every time that they they decide they're going to run, not even third base, but second base. Martin said something about third base feeling like a vacation. He's just standing there, chilling at third base all day long, not having balls bounce off his throat or his cup or whatever. Uh, but second base is fraught, in my mind, with yeah. a guy who's 32 or 33, completely unrehearsed, essentially, out there. <laughs> Turning double uh, plays and having guys uh, every time slide I expect to look up yeah. at yeah, you look up in the in the in the in the team box, and there's there's Atkins and uh, and and Shapiro, and they're tossing flaming juggling balls back and forth, trying to see who can get burned <laughs> the least. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean it's it's reality in some ways. It's a reality for a team. Uh, I mean, I I think especially with position players. Well, no. What I will say is. The Dodgers are an example of a team that definitely has about a 35-man roster. Mm-hmm. 
the Dodgers have the money. They also are the Dodgers. So they have a bit of extra cachet where they are cycling guys in and out and they've got an older team as well. But they've, they've just seen like they, they have they have depth that nobody else can get even mm-hmm. close to. Yeah. They've also got productive players coming from the minors. Brandon Morrow. Brandon Morrow pitched, I believe, five times for the Dodgers. He did not allow... He allowed two or... No, he pitched six innings, allowed three base runners, struck out like nine guys, and then got sent down to the minor leagues because they have too many good players and not enough places to store them all. If the Dodgers, for example, wanted to store Brandon Morrow, I don't know, in Toronto, uh, I would be amenable to... Uh, I would be open to that conversation if anyone wants to have that. <laughs> Maybe get a, that, uh, that guy, that Greek kid that used to live around here, get him on the phone. But uh, but they are because of the Dodgers. They have done depth in a way that is admirable because yes. they have lots of players and lots of money, and they have uh, a productive farm system. And also, they can rely on you know these Kike Hernandez and Scott Van Slyke or whatever that guy's name is. They just seem to like they, the players just keep coming and coming and coming. And they have a thousand starters. They have Alex Wood and they have the whoever. The Jays aren't that. Their 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 depth is dog shit, frankly. But they got it which is maybe even a step ahead of where they were when we were sitting around being like, maybe Jim Negrich will be the answer at second <laughs> base. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just, it's hard. It's hard to, to manage injuries, but it's also you have a very old and expensive team. So, you would like to be able to have mitigated some of those injuries maybe a little bit better. I, the, I don't know. The other thing I will say, though, that, like, I mean, Barney's looked like trash lately, but he he looked... Uh, what was the word you you used before? He, he looked not good, but uh, he was, was useful, but yeah, not he, valuable. He was useful in in April, but not valuable. He, no. I mean, he wasn't killing you. And I mean, obviously, they're still doing okay despite this. I mean, I think they they seem to like the idea, and this is maybe this is maybe why Leblebegian doesn't get an opportunity, or maybe why other guys don't. But like, why Steve Pierce won't play at second base is because they obviously value the defense, uh, and uh, and are like, okay, we can we can handle. A black hole in the lineup. We got fucking Josh Donaldson and and all these other guys who are not as good as Josh Donaldson, but can actually hit the baseball. Uh, Do you know why that is? Do you know why that none of the other guys are as good as Josh Donaldson? Because nobody is as good as Josh Donaldson. He, it just keeps blowing my mind. <laughs> it's really, it's really my true. mind is continually blown. I would had we done the podcast last week when I called this called the home run when I was at Sneaky D's. It was the best thing of the year. Where <laughs> I don't think we had done that. No, oh yeah, we. I went out. For, I went out for like a workout, work outing. It was the that afternoon game against uh, against Oakland, and he came up and there's a runner on, and I turned to no one in particular, and I said, "Josh Donaldson's about to hit a home run," uh, <laughs> and he then he proceeded to hit a home run, and it was terrific. Uh, but that's like you shouldn't be able to do that. You shouldn't be able to just say, "Yeah, he's going to hit a home run here." Although I was watching the Tigers game tonight, and I had the same feeling about Miguel Cabrera, and then he did that. Oh, it's really, really going out on what the fuck? Stop adjusting the level automatically, you stupid thing. Uh, really going out on a, on an edge, saying that two of the best right-handed batters in the game uh, may or may not hit a home run. Really edgy, edgy stuff. You know really what? I laying I, it all the line. I had a feeling like that one time. Little little time in 1993 with uh, <laughs> Mitch Williams on the hill. It's pretty good. It's, it's pretty not good. Bad. It's pretty good feeling when oh shit, this is gonna happen, and then it happens. Of course, then then you start thinking. You think back. You're like, 
Oh, maybe I do that literally every time anybody's up at the plate who's half decent. <laughs> well, I I've, I may have said this before, but in the game five against the Rangers in in 2015, when I thought it, Donaldson was going to hit a home run, I thought he was going to do it then, and then he didn't, and then I didn't I didn't have the same premonition when Jose Bautista <laughs> came up to the well, plate, and then go. he ended up hitting a home run. Who do you know who had the same premonition? Every single person watching the wild card game last year when Edwin Encarnacion <laughs> came up against Ubaldo Jimenez, every single person watching the game was like, "He's going to hit a home run." <laughs> <laughs> there seemed to I seem to recall one guy in Baltimore's dugout who didn't seem to quite get that, but yeah. <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, so the Jays have a lot of they have some roster issues. They have a roster crunch that's not necessarily the most positive thing. Uh, they have uh, an uphill climb before them. You know they're getting closer to the to the to the playoffs and to play out the playoff picture. They're in the playoff picture, but so are a lot of people. I just want to see them get to 500 and Burroughs lose that fucking bat. Like, baby steps. Like, but let's get that out of the way real soon here, boys. Come on. Don't, <laughs> don't let, don't crush Dave's hope, please. But the thing is, is that there, there is the potential that they don't get any closer, that they are on this spinning wheel. They were so cold in April, so hot in May. Uh, so far in June, they've been a little, maybe a little bit more on the middling side. They can't get over that hump. They can't get get quite to 500 because maybe that's about where they are right now um given the sort of regression-y things you know just marco Estrada's not pitching so so hot uh the bullpen's sorted itself out uh whatever we all know the, the, well i mean the, the bullpen's gonna the, take a step back when they trade osuna but yeah other than that well there we go so that you that, that's what i'm getting at is is if that situation uh, comes around and the Jays are definitely maybe on the outside looking in, uh, as Jonah Carey at Spor- uh, suggested at Sportsnet today, maybe the Jays would want to consider or look into uh, trading Roberto Osuna. Um, he heard about it right away. I don't know. If, <laughs> I, I don't know I'm if sure a uh, it's not often that regular non-threatening sports columns get uh, the ratio treatment, but he was definitely not a popular guy for a few minutes, but. Is it the worst idea no. to consider trading yeah. Roberto Osuna at the trade deadline? Not at all. I, I mean, mean, I don't. I don't think they should do. It. I mean, to consider it, sure. To actually do it, you would have to like put something in front of me that made sense. But I, I, this was tweeted out last night. I put this in my daily deuce post today about it. You know, uh, I think TSN tweeted out uh, because Osuna is you know getting close to the most saves ever by. Uh, somebody under 24, and he's still 22. And it's like, you look at the list, and it's fucking Houston Street, Naftali Feliz, Byung-Hung Kim, like guys who, did not. Did, I mean, some some of those careers are still going, but uh, not the, more of the of the volatile reliever uh, type than, you know, the, the Trevor Hoffman of the world who's locking games down for fucking 17 years or whatever. It, it, it's a bit, you know, I... I I can understand a team being wary of of Osuna and uh, and of any young closer and seeing potential value there before he gets really expensive, especially in a year where that's you know not really a worry for them at the you know or, and and also it, they could uh, and I think Jonah put points this out, out in their piece they could they're in his piece that they could uh, they could they could trade him and still be good going forward this year even uh, and get some nice pieces for you know. It, if it were if it were another team's closer and we didn't have the same uh, 
the same love for Roberto Osuna that, that we do or the uh, we have we hadn't watched the movie didn't you know feel that sense of calm when he comes into the game and all that stuff I think it would make more sense sort of in the abstract than to think oh my god really you would trade Osuna like this is a guy you want to build your franchise around but is, is he is any closer I don't know Craig Kimbrell has been traded twice right Craig Kimbrell is probably top five relievers of all time maybe he, maybe I'm He's, like, re- he's he's real fucking good. Yeah, he's really really that good. Um, uh, and and the example that of course Jonah uses is uh, you know the the return that the Pirates got for Mark Melanson last year. They got uh, Felipe Rivera, who's unbelievable, and uh, Gleyber Torres, of course, who is uh, the, pretty much the Yankees' top prospect. And the Yankees fans are he's banging away on the door at AAA, ready to come up to the big leagues. And they got him for three months of Chapman. Um, I think the biggest thing is 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 the point you made, which is. You, you can't build your franchise around a reliever. He's a reliever. And even even the very best reliever is the cherry on top of a good team, which is why these teams pay that those exorbitant prices for guys like that at the trade deadline because those marginal wins are so valuable. I don't think that relievers are fungible, and, and I think having a great reliever is incredibly valuable. But for that very reason, and because baseball isn't just there's a difference between a closer and a guy who collects saves and a great reliever and Roberto Osuna could be either of those things. So not knowing that that's the way that he's going to be viewed, you can potentially get a whole lot of value for him. And it doesn't have to be apples to apples. You don't have to replace him with another guy because if the Jays are a 500 team or if they're an 85 win team this year and next year, having an elite, elite closer around a decent bullpen isn't going to do anything for you. Building a super pen is a great idea, but having a good team to then leverage that super pen is a much, much better idea. So if trading this, you know, likable and very young and very, very effective reliever can get you closer to having a great team, I'm, I'm not, I'm happy to put that horse before the reliever cart personally. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. No, I, absolutely. It's uh it's it, it this is you know looking at it not in the passionate fan kind of way it's the it's the ghoul way obviously it uh, is very much the ghoul way but <laughs> but, but that's, it, but that's it, what we're here for yeah but i think it's I just typing down the ghoul way for the uh the title of this episode there you go <laughs> but i mean i don't know i the, the the to me the wild card in this and the thing that i think uh, is is worth repeating is if the Blue Jays think that he can have a shot at being a starter then all this is then you don't have this conversation if they think okay we'll give him one more year in the bullpen and then why not next year we're going to stretch him out come to come to camp ready to be a starter he's shown that you know he's changed his uh repertoire a little bit he's he's kind of mixed up his pitch uh his pitch selection maybe that brings him closer to being a starter if that's the case take that shot let him stretch out. Let him see what he can do. Um, obviously, the, the list of, of guys who have struggled to make that transition is, is long. But, I mean, you don't have to look any long any further than a guy like C.J. Wilson, who was not anywhere nearly as good as Roberto Osuna was as a closer. And then he became a starter, and he got fucking rich. He got rich as shit. Do that. Get rich. You are way more likely to get rich as a starter than you are as a reliever. Go get that money, <laughs> Get it in the starting rotation. And and honestly, I, looking looking ahead to next year, I mean, it feels like the Jays are going to be 
one of these like not I mean the Yankees are obviously different but but one of those like not all in not all out kind of situations I mean that's probably the best way we can that's the best thing we can hope for at this point like that they're they're going to double down on all right we'll try another year with Batista we'll try well you know you can't not try to win in, when you're in the last year of Josh Donaldson's contract like obviously if you have Josh Donaldson you have a chance especially with all the other decent pieces around him Stroman and Sanchez and even if Martin and two, you know we know the whole drill there but that you know if they're if they're going that route and if they spin it and sell it as though you know the the reality of it maybe they can get away with with doing something like Osuna is just going to go away for a few months and he is going to start in the minor leagues and he is going to you know try try to make this transition i don't cuz well, maybe they maybe he could do it in the big leagues i don't know but that, that's that seems sort of strange but maybe, but but make an effort to do that with the knowledge that you know he's going to get close to it uh, he's going to have an innings limit he had, you know he hasn't really had a full season as a starter certainly not for a number of years and i don't even know what you know the number of innings he ever got to because he had the tommy john that broke up a couple of years and uh and so that's you know that's obviously why they haven't even been able to do it right i mean he, they they put him in the bullpen and he was just so good that they couldn't really take him out of there. Uh, even though, you know, I, I think I've mentioned on here before, I heard somebody, a friend of a friend, you know, kind of thing said, told me that he, they'd spoken to him and he did want to, to start eventually, which is, you know, completely unfounded. I have no idea whether I believe that or not. So please don't anybody else believe that, but I don't know why the hell wouldn't you? And, and, you know, it's never really felt like the right time to do it. I mean, going, coming into this year, coming off playoff, uh, appearances in the last two years, you can't just take that closer out of your bullpen, especially when you have a bullpen like the Blue Jays did coming into the year where it wasn't settled and we didn't know who anybody uh, was going to be, basically, except for Osuna. He was the one sort of locked down. They, they couldn't take that away, especially when they have these sort of pretensions on uh, for, of contending. Uh, maybe next year they have a chance to do it. I, I, I don't know. I, it would be very interesting. I don't think that it would go over well among fans, but I think the payoff might be worth it because, yeah, I think, you know, you look at the pitches that he has, you look at the fact that he was a starter all the way going up, and the only reason that he's in the bullpen wasn't that he was a failed starter, but that it was just a, it was a product of need at the time. Uh, maybe they can get away with doing it. I would honestly, I would love to see them doing it, do it, and I would love to see them you know, just sort of bite the bullet on the, the, the bullpen at the start of next year and, and say, you know what, if we're, we're going to hope to be in contention at the end of the year, and then we can bring him back and we can work on the bullpen there, but, but take a little bit of a hit there and find a closer and, and, uh, you know, somewhere else and on the cheap and, and really go for that. I, I, I think that would be a great thing for them to do and would really pay off for them in the long run. Uh, I don't expect it though, but that's that's a better idea, I think. You know, like, as you say, than just trading him. But the the trade thing, you make a lot of good points. The trade thing is the I, I I want to make sure that it, again. I need to qualify my opinion. I don't <laughs> want the Blue Jays to trade him. I I, I love to watch Roberto Osuna pitch. It, it's odd in in that in 2017 he's the only guy that in in that bullpen who really throws hard, which you know gets my juice is flowing when you see that 97 <laughs> on the on the on the radar gun but yeah. uh, if if they made not only if they if they stuck with the idea that Aaron Sanchez was a starter all along they put him in the bullpen and he had success and the fact that they forced him right back out and and made him start again uh to me suggests that if there's any kind of will and or any kind of interest in in Roberto Osuna starting uh they got to let it happen 
Because I mean, Aaron Sanchez walked the whole world his entire career <laughs> until he yep. got to the big leagues. Osuna's yep. amazing. He's got such great command. Oh, he'd be such a good starter. He would Let be it great. Happen. It would be great. Uh, and if not, then fucking trade him. Get them. Get him the hell away from me. And uh, give me some fresh meat. Give me some fresh blood. Trade him to the Yankees. I don't goddamn care. Uh, get that redheaded goof. Let him with the beard. Let him run around. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't want the Blue Jays to trade Roberto Osuna. He's very good at what he does. He's come on uh, like gangbusters. Uh, I hope that maybe this little dead arm thing that he had this year, uh, it wouldn't dissuade him and them from pushing him into the starters because I think they should do it whether he wants to or not. Get the fuck out there. Run those goddamn stairs. Get run around like like Sanchez and Stroman pushing sleds full of dead bodies. Do it. <laughs> do it. And you know what? Do it in the minors. Cut back on some of that uh, service time. Let's go. Let's keep him moving. Have you no shame? <laughs> he'll be in arbitration way. next year. And that's the other thing, too. That's one other good point. He's already problem. got the save, so he's got a, he'll have a nice little arbitration nest egg to, to, to fall back on. He won't be, he's not going to be coming into arbitration being a middle reliever. He's going to be getting rich already oh, yeah. off of those saves. So if you move him into a starter, he's good to go. He's good to go. Come on, Bobo. I know you got it in you. Give me those 200 innings. Get to that 200. 35 starts, 200 <laughs> innings. No game is service time. What the fuck? No, never. But it, Bring them all up. It would be fun to watch 200 innings of him. It would be real fun. Even I don't if he's th- only throwing 94, 95, not 97, 98. I'm good with that. Man, it's great. He'll be fine. Yeah. He'll be fine. Uh, I think that's about it. We got, we're got we at a good time here. We, we, touched, yeah. we touched on all the issues of the day, as we tend to do here on Birds All Day. So, you got anything else for us? Not really, no. I will. I will say this. This is a bit of a parting shot because it's not Blue Jays related. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I am one of those folks. Uh, perhaps you are as well. Uh, but you know how the Simpsons just takes a goddamn nosedive around season nine, and it's just terrible. That sure. that is a that is there is a school of thought that 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 is a co- that is correct. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I remember you know watching. Watching uh, during those years, during the season tens and elevens and twelves, and then just eventually being like, you know what, fuck this, this, this is not, this is not worth doing anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. And apparently, there's a school of thought and a, that I'm just coming coming around to, uh, because I must say, I watched some season fifteen episodes this week. They're not that bad. They they kind of there there might have been a dip, and they came back uh, they came back up a little bit. I mean, they're not like the golden years. Uh, but it's weird. It's like I have new Simpsons shows to watch uh, because I just assumed everything after that point was as abysmal as fucking season 9 through 12. Uh, perhaps not. I would say that my Simpsons watching has tailed off very significantly since I cut cable because mm-hmm. it's not readily available by mm-hmm. any legal means here in the great nation of Canada. Uh, so I don't I don't get to watch it. And See, I, I watch at home. I work at home, so I just uh, I just have shit on all the time. Yeah, but please uh, so, go on. No, so that's it. So I just haven't been watching it. So for me to see it now is a bit of a treat when it'll come on, and but it's also because I don't watch it that often. 
I'm I, it has a it holds a nostalgic space in my head where mm-hmm. if it comes on I want to see one that I know unfortunately right that's so so but even that like those chance the chances of me seeing them the opportunities for me to do so are really are really limited unfortunately and I don't have the DVDs or anything I have the video some video tapes at my parents house probably somewhere um, but yeah I, I and it's unfortunate I mean Futurama is on Netflix so I'll, sometimes I'll dial those up I don't. I don't. I got. I got a. I got a hot take on that. If you want, on Futurama. Yeah, nobody wants my hot take on that. What that it got bad and, and that's why it went away. <laughs> no, it didn't get bad. It was always bad. It's fucking terrible. What? Yeah. You're out of your mind. No, you it's really on bad. Your own. It's real. You're bad. on your own with that one. Can't do it's, it. Really, David Cohen is a genius, man. You are. You are tripping balls. I knew. I told you it was a hot take. That is a hot take. The other ones, obviously, the Seth Mac- Seth MacFarlane shit, I can't get down no, with that. that. But, yeah. uh, I have I I have watched a bunch of Bob's Burgers. I think that's apparently a big blind spot in my my quite adult good. cartoon watching. I I, will, I enjoy I enjoy Bob's Burgers. Yeah. I have a hot take that's uh, that Archer is has been very one note for the entire run, such that you don't really need to watch it anymore because it's the same thing, basically over and over unfortunately yeah i you know i kind of li- i liked this season i think it, yeah but it is i get exactly what you're saying yeah there are some very high no some of those some of those notes are like pure magic but uh i i don't i don't it's on and i don't watch it that much maybe another hot take a show that i like but also maybe don't like is uh is is uh bojack wow that i i haven't finished the last two seasons of bojack wow yeah, you know what? I, th- I find that's a polarizing show. I find people I like it, but I just don't. It, but... I, I don't take the time to watch it. Frankly, fair. The th- I, I basically watch one thing at a time, and I'm now between things as the leftovers is over. The probably the, the best show that I've ever watched. It was and great. now I'm waiting for the I'm waiting for the the asinine swords and dragons and tits show to come back so I can watch <laughs> that one. Yeah, I don't. I can't do swords or dragons. Wizards. It's so bad. None of, none of that shit I cannot do. That show is so bad, but it gets me so I get so excited for it. <laughs> it's terrible. Like it, well, maybe maybe terrible is a bit of it is an overstatement. It is a technical achievement, and it is it gives the people what they want. And unfortunately, Just... for my own sake, I am one of the people that wants the thing that they're giving. <laughs> Qualifying your opinion as always. I, Unbelievable. I, I I I don't know that I like it, but I sure as shit watch it i want to see some cool ass shit happen and let me tell you dragons blowing shit up is pretty big <laughs> castle intrigue i'm all there i'm all in on that garbage it is trash but i it's the finest of all the trashes except uh except for the worst show that is probably people t- think is good is house of cards unwatchable garbage i, I watched that. i watched a season of that and then was like oh my god i could hate watch it if i had to but why would you do that to Not yourself? Even. I watched a season of that and I was like, okay. And then I watched the beginning of season two and I was like, excuse me? And then <laughs> yeah. I felt I felt like season three was insulting me to my face <laughs> while I was watching. Well, like they were, so you didn't you didn't stop at the start of season two when you're like, wait a second. I Clearly almost not. stopped yeah. at the... I, 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 I did, see, yeah. Getting through season two was a struggle. And then the beginning of season three, I was like, nope, I've seen enough. Uh, the heretic moon king of the south. I don't think I really need to watch watch that anymore uh so that's been the tv talk we, yeah. we could talk about the leftovers i don't think we did you we threatened i didn't know that you watched it i did and yeah you mentioned no. that you well that you, what you and you'd mentioned i'd never i didn't really know what it was until uh 
you were talking about it a bunch in season one, so I ended up mm-hmm. watching that, and then season two obviously was very good. This season was was off the charts. It was fucking great. Uh, it is an achievement, and if you if you like strange television and uh, very oddly hilarious and yet like soul crushingly sad, uh, it's all there. It's all deadly on on the leftovers. The the finest television show in the land, frankly. Yeah, Until I never the, wa- I never watched Lost. Did you watch Lost? Like that's not I lo- see I see I'm a big Lost stan. I ah. am a sucker for Lost. And this is like good Lost, like the best parts of Lost. <laughs> Lost that without... has a that has not a not a sad not a not a full resolution, but that that seemed to work. I mean, I, I've only I'm only parroting things I've heard about Lost because I was late to the party there, and then it sounded like it was not going well after by the time I heard about it. So I'm like, I'm not going to go back and watch that. There, uh, the last thing I'll say about this, and if anyone is still listening, I'll be shocked. <laughs> but uh, David Lindelof, who is the showrunner for The Leftovers, who, along with the guy, uh, Tom Parada, who wrote the original Leftovers book, he was also the showrunner on Lost, which is why there are those two things are very closely related. Um, working on a massive TV show on a network like Lost, which was on ABC, and they did, I don't know, they made six seasons and... The last few were like 16 episodes, and the first three seasons, I think, were 22 episodes. So they're making a lot of TV. Um, the He talked about the last episode of The Leftovers aired three weeks ago, maybe, or two weeks ago. They shot that in in September. And then he had that time, six more than six months, nine months, basically to wrap the show, to edit it, to get it all being what it was. And they also had basically a full year of lead time. The final episode of Lost, which was two and a half hours long, which is basically making a movie, they wrapped shooting on that show three weeks before the finale ended. Like, to me, that is really striking. Because how can you make something that's supposed to be good and is this culmination of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of of human capital and creative energy and get it all in a nice tight package and, and do what you want to do in three weeks? To me, that's crazy and that is an un, unachievable goal. Which is why when you take your time and you let professionals and people who have a strong vision and you let them live it out with, with fewer restrictions, you end up with something that is much, much more memorable and great. Uh, and I think that speaks for everything. Unfortunately, it runs completely counter to our entire culture. So uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> but, but that's my thing. So Lost, you have to view it through the right prism, which is it was, a, it was a, essentially a soap opera because everything on, on network TV is a soap opera which is it, it's holding the place between commercials. So it's only ever going to be that. Where on HBO, they have a bit more freedom to do stuff that's a bit more creative and fun and out there because they are selling prestige, essentially. They're selling uh, uh, water cooler conversations and pretentious podcast host talking points, basically, is what they, <laughs> why, why they exist. And then here we are. We're giving them what they want. Yeah. So that's it. That, that's, my, that's my perspective on the differences between the two and why one is better. And one was maligned, even though I... I was so far in the tank for Lost that I was not able to view it um, uh, objectively because I was just like, I like this is the thing that I like, so I like it. And it didn't matter how good or bad it got. I was like, well, this is still something that I like. I liked to watch it, and now I wish it, I could watch more, but eh. So that's it. That's where I'm at. Okay. Well, that's, that's well said. Um, the Yankees are. <laughs> oh, wait, that, what, baseball, what, what? Baseball? What? Oh, I got the Yankees on in the background. Stupid oh. bullshit Yankees. God damn it. Uh, this Jordan Montgomery character. This is bullshit, yeah. Uh, 
I'm waiting for Gary Sanchez to do the thing that I hope he'd do, which has become bad, and it hasn't happened yet. Aaron Judge is coming, though. That's coming. All this whole, all this whole Aaron Judge thing is, oh, it's a mirage. Take your exit velocities and your barrels, and your 495 <laughs> foot home runs, all baloney. All right, that's it. That is it for this uh, very tangential. Well, at the beginning, it was good. That was hardcore. We were moving, talking about baseball, the issues of the day, and then we rattled on about TV at the end, which is which is fine. That's what people like. It's, maybe that's what you and I like, I guess. Yeah, that's, yeah. Save it for um, the off-season, maybe. We could talk about Game of Thrones TV in the podcast in the off-season. That's fine. It's the peak TV, the golden age, the golden age of television. We are, we uh, are very fortunate, aren't we? We we are we could be I I, <laughs> I feel I feel uh, option paralysis when I think about TV. There's too much. I don't know what to pick, so I pick nothing. I pick the fucking Yankees and the A's at, <laughs> at midnight on a on a Thursday. Instead, of, I actually watched a, a documentary about Blue Jeans earlier, and that was very interesting to me. That's wow. a passionate a passion point of mine. So I w- I was very intrigued by that. Very nice. Who? No one cares. No one cares. Everyone's gone, uh, except for Stacy. She's still running. Bless her, running away in the gym. Attracting stares, as <laughs> rolling her eyes at us. Uh, for Andrew Stoughton, my name is Drew Fairsource. We will hopefully, if you stay, stay with us, uh, talk to you next week on Birds All Day. <laughs>